Timmy McLean, the talented freshman. A year ago, he was leading Seminole High School to a state championship. Tonight, he gets the nod, starting quarterback for the Bulls. McLean will flip it, and they'll run it the other way, heading for the end zone. Touchdown, Weaver. And the end around from three yards out. If he crashes down, McLean keeps it for a touchdown. Bam, up the middle. Looking for the officials. Signal none yet, and there it is. Touchdown, Bulls. Welcome back to the Fletcher and Fowler podcast here as we get you ready for week five of college football. USF set to take on SMU in Dallas, Texas at Ford Stadium on Saturday, October 2nd with a 4 p.m. Eastern kickoff time, 3 p.m. Central. I'm your host, Will Turner, taking you through this preview podcast for for this one. I do apologize for just not being able to get the BYU post game out like I had planned to. I didn't end up getting out of Lavelle Edwards Stadium until about 2 o'clock mountain time, which for me was about 4 o'clock with the way that my body clock was working considering that I left Saturday morning. So it was one of those things where it was uh, it was it was very late at night and I was tired and I was already gassed and, and it was just it, it was just tough to be able to do anything. I had a, a heck of a drive a heck of a drive home. I was stayed in West Jordan. I had a heck of a drive home. I had to call my my girlfriend and she had to try and keep me awake, which didn't work very well. So that was that, and then of course Sunday was a was a day of hiking through the mountains and driving through Wasatch National Forest. So unfortunately, just didn't get a chance to put together that BYU post game. But we do plan to do that from Ford Stadium. It'll be a little bit earlier of a of a finish time, considering that post game press conference will be at about seven p.m. Eastern as opposed to four o'clock in the morning Eastern or two o'clock in the morning or however late it was. So getting you ready for that. We will have a special guest on here a little bit later in the program. want to go ahead and, and introduce him in just a, uh, a minute here. And if you are listening to the Fletcher and Fowler podcast for the first time and you say, hey, I really like this content and I really like what these guys are, are doing to be able to make this happen in the USF space, we are on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. So feel free to check us out on any of those platforms if you are listening, maybe on your browser with the megaphone.fm. That's kind of our main distributor. But if you are on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, we are on those four. So feel free to download us there and check us out and subscribe so you don't miss any further episodes of the Fletcher and Fowler podcast. If you are feeling even more generous, please give us a five-star rating or consider giving us a five-star rating as we again continue to try and grow this within the USF space. Uh, any sort of feedback, my personal Twitter is at WTurner247. If you have any feedback for the podcast, feel free to DM me over there. My DMs are always open and always open for fans, so feel free to go ahead and send me some feedback if you have some feedback for us. Again, we, as I said on the last one, we'll definitely have some additional co-host down the line and those folks are are still slated to come on this will be a little bit more of of me for the first 15 20 minutes and before i get into my interview with our special guest who i'll go ahead and introduce right now is is pony stampede publisher billy and body 
Billy is a Tampa native, went to Carrollwood Day High School, as we'll find out later in our interview, a uh, big Tampa Bay Lightning fan, and is a guy that I have a ton of respect for, one of the hardest working guys on the 24-7 Sports Network, has done some work with our, does a lot of work actually with our LSU site, go247.com, did some stuff with the Louisiana site uh, for the Raging Cajuns, so, and then of course he's been the main guy on the SMU site for as long as I have been doing USF stuff. So Billy's a, a, a fantastic guy and in a fun interview and uh, definitely something to look look for as we kind of get into that. Um, obviously want to set the stage a little bit heading into Friday. This is going to be a big game, or excuse me, heading into Saturday. Uh, this is going to be a big game for SMU, right? You know, SMU is is sitting at 4-0, heading into American Athletic Conference play. It's homecoming. They just took back the iron skillet. This is the first time they were able to win that back-to-back uh, since 92-93, which obviously is a huge rivalry between those two teams in a game that, that SMU was, was, was very, very happy to win. And then beyond that, SMU is looking for their third straight season where they win five games to start the year. They went 5-0, and I think, in each of the last three seasons. And the last time that they... Uh, 5-0, and excuse me, in the last two seasons, and they're looking to do that for a third time. And if they do it, it's the first time since the 1981 to 1983 seasons, which if anybody out there remembers the SMU days of old, the Mustangs were national champions in 1982 and 1983, which is two of their three national championships that they have. So we're talking about you know, matching some history from the heyday of the of the program and what they were able to do. Obviously, SMU has been through quite quite a bit with Chad Morris and you know the death penalty after that, pretty much. But they are back on the rise out in Dallas. Sonny Dykes enters his fourth season with SMU, and he's twenty six and fourteen. He's just the fourth Mustang head coach to win twenty games in his first three seasons, and. He's done it similar to what USF is trying to do, and Sonny Dykes has really kind of set the the role, and you'll find out a little bit more as we talk to Billy. SMU has really set a precedent within college football of, of finding transfers that work for their program and finding transfers that will contribute right away. And you look at the quarterback position right off the rip with Oklahoma transfer Tanner Mordecai, a guy that's really set college football on fire these first four weeks. I mean, he's thrown for over 70%, thrown for over 1,200 yards with 20 touchdowns, and set passing records for the Mustangs in his first career start against Abilene Christian in the 56-9 win. I think he threw seven touchdowns against against Abilene Christian, if I remember right, something absurd like that. And then SMU beats North Texas 35-12. to They beat Louisiana Tech in a thriller 39-37, to and then obviously – as we mentioned, the TCU win in the battle for the Iron Skillet, 42-34. to On the flip side, you have a USF team coming off of a game against BYU where they went down early, 21-0 against the Cougars, before ultimately storming back and scoring 21 of their own in the second half after being down, I think, 28-6 at half. And they make it a game. It's 35-27 final score for the Cougars for the number 15 Cougars, which were able to raise up to number 13, I think, something of that nature, 12, 11, 13, something within that range. But yeah, BYU led led 21, nothing in the first quarter. USF was able to score on five of their last six possessions, 
including three straight in the second half and three really, really good drives in the second half, if you take a look at it, um, including a 19-play, 94-yard that is honestly one of the hallmarks of uh, or what could be one of the hallmarks of this season when you take a look at what USF is going to try and do offensively against SMU. And I, and I said it on Twitter, the main thing is is you take a look at, at what Charlie Weiss Jr. Had, has been forced to do, right? Um, he's had to slow things down. Charlie Weiss Jr. is an offensive coordinator that wanted to come in and he wanted to play fast and he wanted to play with tempo and he wanted to be able to you know, push the pace a little bit. And that's kind of, you know, what USF thought they were going to be able to do heading into the year. They thought they were going to be able to throw the ball around quite a bit and catch teams through the air. And that's just not what they've been able to do. And they're having to rely a little bit more on the run game, which as Charlie Weiss Jr. said in his offensive coordinator availability this week is you could still play with tempo and you could still play with uh, a sense of urgency but you can, at the same time, you could still slow things down to be able to honestly rest the defense that, that just has, has continued to, to, to prove unsavory, if that's the correct word to use. There's a lot of injuries on that side of the football. T.J. Robinson went down late against BYU. Christian Williams is going to be out for a month. Will Jones out for the year. Isaiah Cromartie warmed up against... Uh, BYU, but nobody knows what his status is. I thought he was out for the year, but I guess he's not. I don't know. He warmed up. We we just don't know. There's a lot of injuries on the back end, and you know some freshmen that we thought could step up. Jalen Herring got some run against BYU, but got torched on a long play in the in the second half that that really gave BYU ultimately the 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 score that put the the nail in the coffin and there's been some other freshmen and and COVID year freshmen I guess is what I'm calling them guys that played last year but are still considered freshmen because of the additional year of COVID eligibility uh, laid out by the NCAA you look at guys that that we really haven't seen right Christopher Townsell's one that we have yet to see since game one uh, Ben Knox is one that played a little bit towards the end of last season that we have yet to see. Uh, he registered a tackle against Florida on the September 11th game, but we haven't seen much of him since except on special teams. Um, Jaden Curry is another one that played a lot against Florida when Mikayla Point went down, but didn't play much against Florida AM and m didn't play much against BYU. So you've, you've got players like that, guys down the roster. Gabe Neely obviously was one that you know some folks might – might have thought he could have pushed the needle. Uh, Jalen Stokes was one I personally thought could have pushed the needle there. And, and and But Jeff Scott said it this way, and I really admired kind of the way that he worded things, is while each of those guys on the back end, those freshmen and COVID year freshmen, each of them really have their own, uh, they're on their own timeline, so to speak, of, of when they're ready to go. You know, some guys are farther ahead than others, and Defensive back is a position, and, and again, I love the way that Jeff Scott phrased this here on his Thursday Zoom call, was defensive back is just one of those positions where if you're not trusted 100%, you could cost the whole team. And that's kind of pretty much what Jeff Scott said, you know, kind of paraphrasing his quote. It's not as noticeable for a wide receiver or a tight end to run around or for an offensive lineman to miss an assignment. Some of those instances only the coaches are going to know what the intended play or the intended route or the intended pool 
was supposed to be. And I think for USF, you look at them and you look at, at the mistakes that are being made on the back end, those are more noticeable. When a guy is caught in one-on-one coverage and is a step behind, you notice that because it, what? It ends up being either a 40-yard gain or a 50-yard gain or a 70-yard gain or a touchdown. And that's exactly what Jeff Scott kind of pointed to was, you know, it's noticeable when those defensive backs make a mistake because those guys, when those, when, when those mistakes are made, they end up in touchdowns. USF is the only team in the country to have faced three teams within the AP Top 25. Between NC State, which knocked off Clemson, Florida, which continues to, to show that they are one of the best teams in the country with what they did against Alabama, and BYU potentially being a team that could push the needle in the college football playoff for the group of five until it goes to the Big 12. Those are three teams right there that USF played that you know, are going to get them better. And you saw improvement from game one to game two to game three to game four. And I think one of the major things for USF going forward is that they're just going to have to start faster. You can't go down 21 nothing against BYU in an environment like Lavelle Edwards Stadium and expect to win. You can't go down 21 nothing against SMU and expect to win. Even if that environment's not the same, you know, 32,000 at Ford Stadium is going to be a lot different than 63 at Lavelle Edwards. But you don't want to go down against SMU because that's a team that can, that, you know, obviously with what Trent Mordecai has done, he's leading the country in passing touchdowns. Second place is five touchdowns behind them. You don't want to let that offense continue to just cook your defensive backs every time out. For USF across the board, they're just going to have to f- continue to learn and continue to manage games better. And that's what they did mainly against BYU in the second half. I really enjoyed kind of watching them slow things down. They still did have a quick hitter of a two minute 30. Uh, two minute 30 second drive that they got good field position in the big 26 yard chunk play uh, I think from from Timmy McLean to Xavier Weaver I think that 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 was good that was something you want to see the other important thing for USF is just the fact that now they have a starting quarterback in the form of Timmy McLean the true freshman from Seminole High School has been officially named the starter and has been officially named the starter heading into week five which is conference play which is what USF head coach Jeff Scott desired that's what he wanted to do last season was find a quarterback that would be good enough to go in conference play and as we saw the the rotation between Jordan McLeod and Noah Johnson and Cade Fortin and Travis Marsh you know USF played Travis Marsh to start conference play a year ago against Cincinnati on the road and Travis Marsh had never started a college game before I don't I don't remember if he'd even played a college game before I mean how far has this program come in 365 days to be able to to go on the road at SMU, go into Dallas, and say, hey, we're going to start Timmy McLean. We have a guy that's going to move the ball well. And, you know, I, I don't want to say I told you so, but I, I kept telling everybody I thought Timmy McLean was going to push the needle heading into the quarterback uh, room heading into this season. I just... The kid was too special at Seminole, and watching him in that state championship game against Osceola, he's just been—he's just a special athlete. Left-hander is a little bit different, gives the defense a little bit of a different look from your traditional right-handed quarterback. You know, not everything gets flipped; it's not that much of a difference, but uh, routes get flipped a little bit, your play calling gets flipped a little bit. You know, everything gets gets flipped with a with a left-handed quarterback. So, should be interesting to see kind of how he does against SMU. Uh, he comes in 
40 for 70 with 558 yards of passing, a touchdown, and two interceptions. The two interceptions were thrown against NC State. The one touchdown was his first collegiate to Xavier Weaver during the Florida A&M game. And then you've got behind him Jaron Mangum, who has continued to prove as as a great, great addition from Colorado. 46 carries, 168 yards, seven touchdowns in four games. He became the first USF running back to rush for two or more touchdowns in three consecutive games. Yes, I said the first. The dude has played four games in a USF uniform, and he's already got his name in the record books, which is pretty dang special in my opinion. Obviously, Xavier Weaver will lead the charge in the receiving core. He's the leading receiver after four weeks, 14 receptions, 294 yards, a touchdown, 73 and a half yards per game. I don't think we're realizing just how good Xavier Weaver has been, not just with the ball in his hands, but with everything else that he does between route running and releases and things like that. So take a little bit of a look kind of deeper into stats here. You know, USF leads the all-time series with SMU 3-2. to two. Uh, USF leads in Dallas two two games to none. They have never lost to Dallas, or they've never lost in Dallas. Uh, I believe there's a neutral site game somewhere in there. I'm not can't really tell from what I'm looking at. SMU won 48 to 21 in 2019. That was a game that SMU had 10 sacks, 10 sacks. Yes, uh, we it, that game is tough to remember. Obviously, Jordan McLeod probably had a, a few plays in that one where he should have held on to where he shouldn't have held on to the ball as long as he did and you can credit some of those sacks to the quarterback um, but you know we take a look at, at at 10 sacks I don't think that's happening this week for SMU uh, USF is is has dropped to 15 and 17 on the road in conference games and they have lost their last five and they have lost their last two American Athletic Conference openers they are now five and three in program history and they are looking to get back on track. They are looking for their first road win since 2019. That's right. This team has not won a road game in two seasons, and we're going on the two-year anniversary of that here on October 26th when USF went to Greenville, North Carolina, and they beat East Carolina 45-20. to Remember, that was the game where Jordan Cronkite went for 200 yards and a bunch of touchdowns, and that was the Jacquez Evans coming out game, and a game that is kind of a distant memory, even though the uh, bill that I paid to repair my car after wrecking it on the way to Greenville, North Carolina, still ends up uh, kind of haunting me. That was a nice little $4,000 repair when it was all said and done, but uh, we'll talk more about ECU when we get to ECU. But without further ado, we will go ahead and move into our interview portion of the Fletcher and Fowler podcast. We'll get a chance to touch base with Billy and Body who is the publisher of Pony Stampede, as I mentioned at the top of the program, does a lot of work between LSU and SMU. And he brought up some interesting points about what Trent Mordecai has done and what Sonny Dykes has done over the last couple of years and the transfers they brought in and just kind of, uh, you know, what SMU has done to, to be as competitive. And then we talk about, we of course have to talk about the fact that SMU defensive coordinator Jim Levitt will be on the sidelines and will be facing his former team, the program that he started and built from 1997 to 2009, 
will be on the sidelines for the Mustangs. There was a chance that it would happen last season when USF was supposed to head to Florida Atlantic to take on Willie Taggart and Jim Levitt when he was Willie Taggart's defensive coordinator at Florida Atlantic. But instead, it'll be in Dallas when you, when Jim Levitt will play his former team for the first time. And that'll be an interesting storyline to watch. Jeff Scott has definitely um, told his players about Jim Levitt and what he's brought to the program and kind of how he built the program, and those players are aware of that. And, of course, it, it's kind of a little bit of ironic that, that – it was postponed to the 25th anniversary of USF football. But we'll get a chance to talk with Billy and see what he has to say. He's got some some good restaurant suggestions. Uh, you know me, I'm always a sucker for trying to figure out where to go when I'm out of town. I'll be in Dallas as well. So Billy gives some, some good restaurant recommendations. I'll tell you right now, go visit Pecan Lodge. If you're heading out to Dallas, that place is, oh my God, that barbecue is fantastic. You want a good Texas barbecue? Go to Pecan Lodge. Pecan Lodge, if you're listening to the Fletcher and Fowler podcast, please sponsor us because your food is tasty. I just pretty much did an ad read for Pecan Lodge on the Fletcher and Fowler podcast, so that's cool. That's where we're at. But let's go ahead and get into our interview portion of the Fletcher and Fowler podcast with Billy and Body. The publisher of PonyStampede.com knows all things SMU and all things Tampa. He's a Tampa resident. We'll get a chance to talk with him about that as well and kind of his ties to, to the Bay Area. He's got plenty of them, and I think his family still lives here. So let's go ahead and, and take you away to our interview with Billy and Body from PonyStampede.com. Joining us now on the Fletcher and Fowler podcast is the one of the hardest working folks on the 24-7 Sports Network in the form of Billy and Body. Billy, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, anytime. Always good to catch up with a fellow uh, Tampa guy. Yeah, we're, we're recording this through, through Zoom. Obviously, you don't get to see what Billy's got on, but uh, he, he's got himself a, a, a lightning sweatshirt as, as the season is only a couple days away. What's your Tampa background? You were, you were born here, right? Born and raised Tampa, Florida, uh, went to Carrollwood Day, start to finish, and uh, ended up out in Texas at SMU. So, been back and forth between Tampa a lot with COVID, and of course, the Cup Finals was awesome. So, it's, uh, you know, I keep, I keep close to the roots still. Did you actually go to any of the games last year? Yeah, I went, uh, went to most of the Cup Final games and, and uh, was around for that. So, it was Man, what a what an atmosphere! And obviously, getting back to backs was uh, was huge. I think we got a tough road though for uh, a three peat. For sure, I've got my season tickets back, so I'm excited for for this year that starts on October 12th. But obviously, not here to to talk about uh, lightning hockey. We're here to talk about USF and SMU, uh, set for a 4 p.m. Eastern kickoff um, from Ford Stadium in Dallas. Uh, Billy, let's start off with the with the with the quarterback spot. Tanner Mordecai has really just set the conference on fire and kind of set college football on fire. Leads the country in passing touchdowns with twenty. That's five more than second place. What has he been able to do since transferring in from Oklahoma to to really take the QB one spot by storm? Yeah, you know the thing that uh, was interesting about it is the quarterback battle went you know from the spring into fall camp and about halfway through fall camp, there wasn't really a clear answer. And I felt like Tanner Mordecai and Preston Stone might battle it out going into the season. But over the last two weeks of fall camp, Mordecai really just asserted himself and looked the part, looked confident. And I think the players gravitated uh, towards that. And 
And then when they kicked off the season against Abilene Christian, he really left very little doubt as to whether it was his job or not. Seven touchdown passes, an SMU single game record. Um, obviously, the competition wasn't anything to write home about. But, you know, from there, he just kept being productive, uh, throwing touchdowns, letting his playmakers do their thing. And um, that's been the key. He's, he's, you know, had some issues with some turnovers against um, North Texas, against uh, TCU. But overall, he's played a very clean game outside of those moments. Uh, and that's allowed him to build up uh, that touchdown uh, passing mark that he has right now leading the country. And going into conference play, it's going to be really interesting to see if he can, you know, continue to build some gap between him and, and the rest of the guys. But uh, he's just got a great group of playmakers, too. You know, from Rasheed Rice to Danny Gray to Reggie Robertson, Jordan Curley's been emerging as the fourth wideout. And then you've got Grant Calcaterra, the Oklahoma tight end transfer, who's backed into college football and has been a key part of that passing game. So that's really helped them all uh, mesh really well. It's kind of interesting that you mentioned Preston Stone because he was the, the four-star, if not the highest ranger crew, he was, he was up there uh, that SMU ended up pulling in. And I think you and I talked about it uh, when, when he committed and just kind of, uh, you know, how important that was for the Mustangs. It's interesting that you note that he was, that he was kind of pushing the needle there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a bright future for Preston Stone. You know, he's very different in a way than Tanner Mordecai. He can extend plays in a, different way than Tanner Mordecai can, uh, who has a pretty good feel for the pocket, um, albeit needs to get rid of the ball a little bit quicker at times, uh, at least for Mordecai. And for Preston, you know, he's just, I think he eventually just kind of hit a wall in fall camp like a lot of freshmen do. And that's why Tanner Mordecai was able to separate himself from him. But, you know, still a very big piece uh, to the puzzle long-term for SMU is Preston Stone. And, you know, I think with him, they're continuing to develop him as a leader. I mean, whenever the freshmen have to do work after practice, you know, the strength conditioning staff, the coaching staff, like, hey, Preston, take the, take the freshman and let's get this going. So they've got a bright future for him planned. And uh, he, by the time he takes those first snaps, whenever that is, uh, they're, they're going to be competent. He's going to be ready to go. SMU is, has really kind of set the college football world on a, on a different trend as well. When you look at what they've done in the transfer portal, I think Jeff Scott said 80 transfers in four years that this, this week, and you know, the numbers a lot better than, than I do. But when you look at what SMU has done in the transfer portal, obviously a quarterback like Tanner Mordecai, you mentioned Grant Calcaterra, what has, ha, has Sonny Dykes done just to be able to make that team work with a bunch of, transfers because it doesn't work everywhere some teams have tried to do it and it doesn't work but what has Sonny Dykes done to be able to to make sure that the that formula to success has worked you know the big thing is is that they really evaluate players on and off the field I mean there there's a lot of kids that are from the Dallas area from Texas that want to come back and, and either finish out their career um, at an SMU at a Houston uh, who's used it fairly well as well but you know, SMU has turned away or, or not pursued a lot of big time names that have left the Dallas area because of the research they do maybe off the field or if there are health concerns. They want to make sure that if they're bringing in a player um, like, for example, uh, Jordan Curley is a really good example. He spent one year at Arizona State, uh, opted out of the 2020 season and then uh, comes back to SMU with four years to play three. And so if you're looking at their, their efforts in recruiting from a high school perspective, they're not just taking guys that are one-year fixes 
uh, for the most part. They've got a couple guys every now and again that they'll that they'll take um, and and you know work in and, and that are really high level players like Grant Calcaterra who has one year left. This is it for him. Um, but what they want to do is they want to supplement their high school recruiting with quality transfers that can build depth, be there for multiple years. And, you know, sometimes it's okay for them to sit there and say, okay, here's an SEC transfer like Justin Osborne, their starting right guard who spent a year at Auburn, didn't play, but was in a strength and conditioning program that is solid, um, was coached fairly well, and could come back to Texas, play in front of their family and friends, and build the rest of their careers from there. And I think that's where they've kind of found the, the right method to doing it. And, and that's been the biggest thing. I mean, I, there are very few guys that they've taken in transfers that haven't really panned out. I think Kedrick James is one off the top of my head from Alabama, a Waco kid um, who didn't pan, off, pan out, uh, had some health issues and things like that. But, you know, they've really hit the nail on the head with these guys uh, that they've uh, pursued and and now that their staff especially kind of on the defensive side is more of a national staff um, Jim Levitt brought in Isaac Slade Matutia yep. at linebacker who has two years yep. left that they know very well um, they do their research on a lot of these guys nationally and and that's just kind of the makeup of the coaching staff and it's just allowed them to have a lot of success yeah you mentioned you mentioned Jim Levin and I'll and I'll get back to that in a little bit because obviously that's a that's a big storyline in this game but Jeff Scott told reporters this week yesterday that, you know, he sees SMU as a, as a case study for USF because the Bulls are, are, are trying to do the same thing. And, and Bulls fans listening obviously know that they're trying to bring in a lot of transfers. What comparisons, I, I don't know how much you've studied USF's roster so far this week, but what similarities can, can you see between SMU and USF between two talent rich areas? Obviously Tampa's really talented. So is Dallas. Uh, SMU's done a great job implementing Dallas on the uniforms and with the with the big D logo. What what do you see at USF could draw from a team like SMU uh, maybe four or five years down the line? Yeah, you bring up a great point. The 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 talent rich area. And that's what I think is the most important thing. And you know, you could look at transfers nationally and say, okay, um, a veteran player for an ACC team, let's just say for fun, let's say North Carolina or Clemson or, or someplace like that. Um, Clemson doesn't really have too many transfers, but right. they recruit Florida very well. Um, and, and those types of players that maybe go off to play Power 5 football. Um, SMU, for example, has used Arizona State almost like a little farm team this past year. Uh, I think they've got four former uh, Sun Devils that came back to Texas to play for SMU. You look at that kind of plan, and USF could capitalize on that. And it's just a, about you know, having the relationships that when a player hits the portal, jump right back in. And that's why SMU also spends a lot of time recruiting guys that I think they know deep down they might not get, but they could say, okay, looking ahead, he just committed to Arizona State. The depth chart there is X, Y, and Z. He might be looking for a fresh start here in a couple of years, but we recruited him really well. He knows he has a place. And I think that's the key. And with Tampa being so talent rich and Tampa also just being a great city to live in, you know, I think that's something that, you know, down the line, as Jeff Scott builds the program, he's going to be able to really harness and, and build on. And, and that's the comparison I see, like you said, not really knowing the, the roster top to bottom and, and what they've done in that respect so far. But that's got to be the game plan for them because it's, it's not a shameful thing to transfer anymore. You know, there are guys right. that get out of programs for various reasons. There are guys that get out of programs because they're 
uh, not fitting with the coaching staff or a new coaching staff comes in and, and the transfer portal is there uh, for those players to take advantage of, of it and, and have a good college career from there. And I think that's where USF can really build off of it. Yeah, USF is, has welcomed, I want to say, shoot, 12, 13 transfers this year and a lot in the secondary and a lot of guys down the line. And, you know, the big thing this offseason was, yeah, a lot of guys that went and played Power 5 football that wanted to come back to Tampa and play in Tampa. You saw it with uh, TJ Robinson at corner was a, was a great example from Rutgers uh, that, that, that was at Riverview, ended up going to New Jersey, didn't pan out there and comes back to Tampa. And there were a lot of guys over the offseason that were very interested in coming back Noah Johnson two years ago uh, at the quarterback position. So, no, that's a, that's a, that's a great point to see, you know, kind of similarities between what's happening in Dallas and, and what's happening in Tampa uh, looking ahead to the, to the defense and kind of getting back into Saturday's matchup. Obviously Jim Levitt uh, is now on the SMU sna- uh, staff. Uh, Bulls fans know that what, what Jim Levitt put together in Tampa, the, the program's first head coach from 1997 to 2009. What is Jim Levitt brought to the program? Uh, spent some time with, with Willie Taggart at Florida State and Florida Atlantic, and now he's, he's with Sonny Dykes in Dallas. What have you seen from that defense and, and from Jim Levitt? The big thing, I think, in a way, is credibility. And Kevin Kane had the defense going in the right direction. You know, Sonny Dykes is higher uh, to lead the program defensively when he was, when he was hired as the coach. It's just about taking that next step. And when, when Jim Levitt walked in the door, you know, his, his players knew what he's done, you know, from stops at USF, building that program, a former head coach who's won big, um, being a good defensive-minded coach, knowing how to evaluate athletes, put them in the right spots to play well, goes off to Oregon, goes off to Colorado, spends some time with the 49ers coaching Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman, who, you know, quite honestly, probably don't, don't need – uh, Jim Levitt's help to be good, but sure. he has that experience. Uh, and and also in turning around defenses in year one uh, at the stops he's been as defensive coordinator. And SMU needed a veteran defensive mind to take a, quite honestly, a, an experienced group for the most part and put them in the right spots. And he's made some key changes up front. Um, he's, he's, he's worked in guys at different spots in the secondary that I think have helped. It's still a tough uh, position to play in college football these days in the secondary but you know for the most part they've they've brought an aggressive mentality uh, run to the football um, it's a mindset that started from day one I was there for his first practice and you know guys walked out to the practice field and he made him go back hey run on we run on and off it's non-stop it honestly helps them be in a little bit better condition I think um, but it's just a mentality that he's brought and we saw that against TCU you know uh, tenfold in the second half, especially once they settled in that defense really locked down, you know, they forced a couple field goals. They were put in some spots by Tanner Mordecai's turnovers that weren't great. Um, but they were able to really shut down TCU save for a touchdown drive late in the game. Uh, and that was the difference. And, and they played with such tenacity, even if they think, you, you know, in the past, maybe somebody's going to get the quarterback to the ground. Well, you know, they loaf a little bit and he escapes and makes a play and, you know, that was kind of the, that, the play that really uh, showed that the most was the first play of the second half when TCU, um, you know, gets the ball at the one and they, or they, they force a turnover that it gives SMU the ball at the one. And, you know, Max Duggan kind of slipped the tackle, but SMU's players didn't give up. They forced fumble, and that's been the big thing. And they've got some athletic uh, length added to this defense, and it's kind of paid off so far as well. 
this is new blood in, in, in SMU's program. The, the Mustangs were a, a 42-34 winner over TCU uh, to get the iron skillet uh, back to Dallas. First time that they have won in back-to-back years since 92-93. Looking here at the game notes, uh, take a look. You know, SMU obviously is getting close to even more history this week with the chance to go 5-0 and and uh, starting the season for the first with five straight wins for the first time. Uh, in three consecutive seasons since the heyday, right? The 81 to 83 seasons. So uh, obviously a big week for SMU. It's homecoming on the hilltop. You know, what? what's one one or two things that you really want to look for in this start to conference play? Yeah, the big thing is they've got to you know, move on from the TCU game. And, and that was one thing that Sonny Dyke said this week. He was really worried about how the team would move on from the Hail Mary win over the Louisiana Tech. You know, forget that it was Iron Skillet week. It's a long emotional road game. You're, they rode the bus four and a half, five hours to Ruston, rode it back. Uh, it, it was a game that took a lot out of the guys and, you know, they handled it very well. And that's where this program is looking to take that next step. You know, they started eight. No, I think it was went into that Memphis game, you know, which was a shootout, really fun game in 2019, but they lost. And then they kind of faltered down the stretch, you know, recognizing that it's a week to week season and your biggest opponent is in front of you is what I'm looking for the most. You know, SMU's had a really good job, done a really good job of starting fast um, in most of its games this year, uh, save for the ACU game where they just kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit. But, you know, they really have this thing rolling. And so I want to see them continue to, um, you know, not overlook anyone, uh, recognize that the biggest game is in front of you. That's number one. And then from there, you're coming off a game that you rush for 350 yards against a team that's usually good defensively, that physicality, that um, production, running the football, that's what I want to see out of the offense. Uh, Tanner Mordecai needs to continue to get rid of the ball quicker to avoid some of the interceptions he, he's had. Uh, defensively, you want to see them start fast, uh, kind of quite similar in a way to the game in 2019 against USF where SMU beat TCU again, they opened conference play. I think it was, I think that was how the schedule laid out. Yep, and yep, SMU, I believe so. I believe yeah. So. And SMU didn't let them off the mat really at all in that game. And uh, that's what needs to happen. And, and defensively you want to see them, um, you know, continue to build off of the performance they had against TCU in the second half. And uh, that's really the kind of program they're gunning for. And so the biggest thing for me is, is just watching this team, how they handle success um, because that'll show a lot, you know, in terms of what kind of season they're having and what kind of season they're headed towards. You talk about not letting USF off the, off the mat. I mean, that was a game, obviously, they won 48 to 21 in that one. But they, the Mustangs had 10 sacks in that one. And, and, I, and I remember a lot of it was quarterback Jordan McLeod holding the ball a little bit too long, and those guys were getting to him. But the offensive line for USF was, was bottom six. In, in the nation that year in terms of, of sacks allowed. But it's, it's a different team. The offensive line didn't have one pre-snap penalty against BYU. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the offensive line just kind of in general over the last few weeks. Uh, for USF is a lot better than that team in 2019. Now we look ahead to, to a quick prediction before, uh, before I let you go. I got one, out, one other fun question for you after that. USF has pulled out. USF is, is a 20-and-a-half-point underdog here, SMU the favorite. USF, in, in two of their last three games against Florida and BYU, the, the, the Bulls pulled out a late second-half cover to make it close. 
uh, especially against BYU. Uh, how do you see this one going down at Dallas? Do the, do the Bulls cover? Do, does SMU run away with it? Uh, put me on the spot with the cover question. That's really good. And I, I think that's, you know, hey, I only ask because like everybody asks me if they're going to cover or not. So <laughs> hey, good, good teams win great teams cover, right? Exactly. I, I do think SMU is headed to be a great team and, you know, offensively they've had a lot of success all year. Um, and the only thing that's held them back has been themselves, you know, turnovers against North Texas, they dropped three touchdown passes. I mean, that game shouldn't have been as close as it was quite honestly. And, Louisiana Tech, they shot themselves in the foot in the red zone. They had two opportunities at the one and got three points um, and, and had three trips to the red zone and got three points uh, at times. So that's the only thing holding me back from, I would say, predicting an easy cover. But I'm going to have a little bit of a cop out here, and I'm going to say SMU wins 42-20. Okay. I, I think SMU is headed to be a great team this year. Uh, I, I think that TCU game and even then the three turnovers – by Tanner Mordecai, including one at the one-yard line on a fourth down play to end the first half. They feel like they should have been, you know, far and away a, a runaway winner over, over TCU. And, and that's football, though. And, but I'm going to pick SMU to take care of business to cover uh, 42-20 against USF. I think SMU has a strong second half and just pulls away kind of like they did against TCU. I think S&P Plus had, had the Mustangs at 42-16 or something of that nature. So that's appeared what – what it's been and it's really a terrible matchup for USF secondary considering just how depleted they are on the back end uh Tanner Mordecai just ha has done some really really good things my my fun question for you before we before we wrap up uh you know uh, you're my go-to guy when it comes to Dallas food and drink and where to go I know there's some USF fans making the trip uh I gotta make a return trip to Pecan Lodge What's uh, what's some of the other spots that's uh, out there in Dallas that Bulls fans should uh, check out while they're while they're in in the Lone Star State for the weekend? Well, I'll give you another one. Lockhart Smokehouse in in Bishop Arts is another good barbecue spot. Definitely go there, check that out as well. If you're feeling a double doubling up on barbecue, um, I would say go to Katie Trail Ice House as well. Okay, a, a great uh, beer garden, Texas country place, uh, and with the three o'clock local kickoff. Uh, you're going to have some time to go in there, enjoy a summer beer, enjoy a beer eater. Um, the, food's, the food's fine for a college game day uh, experience and uh, watch some games. They've got some TV. I think the weather's going to be pretty good. So check out Katie Trail Ice House before the game. Uh, Barley House, Milo's are right next to SMU campus and they're pretty good. Uh, and if you're a, you know, a really big uh, bruncher, uh, I, would, I would just rapid fire and go go uh, 60 Vines and Uptown is good. Um, Chelsea's Corner is good. Henry's Majestic is good. Uh, there's some good brunch spots in, uh, in Dallas as well, you know, in, in time for that three o'clock kickoff. And then uh, finally, I would say uh, hit up a local favorite of mine in on McKinney Avenue. That's Quarter Bar. Um, and then one other on Greenville Avenue is uh, Christie's Sports Bar. So those are your kind of later night uh, after game uh, destinations, I would say. Good stuff. I, I might have to make a little detour and hit Rodeo Goat. That was kind of my yes. – Rodeo Goat was my was my go-to uh, right down the hotel during that conference tournament two years ago. Yes, uh, absolutely. Rodeo Goat, great burgers, great beers, yep. all the things. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep. Well, Billy, I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy, busy schedule. Uh, Billy and Body covers SMU and LSU for the 24-7 Sports Network. 
Uh, if you've got anything that you'd like to plug, how fans can follow you and, and, and support your work, feel free to, to go ahead and, and give yourself that shameless plug. Yeah, shameless plug. Thanks for having me, Will. And you can follow us at PonyStampede.com for the SMU side of things. And if uh, look, if there are any Gator fans on the podcast, uh, LSU Florida is coming up and you can uh, follow all of our stuff over there on Go247GEAUX247.com. Appreciate you having me, man. Awesome. Thanks again. That was Billy and Body with Pony Stampede previewing USF and SMU. Greatly, greatly appreciate Billy for taking time out of his busy schedule. He is, like I said at the top, one of the busiest folks that I know on the 24-7 Sports Network. Again, if you're interested in anything SMU-related, feel free to check out PonyStampede.com. That's got all the latest from the SMU side of things. I think he posted some entry notes later on in the week after we recorded our interview, as well as, obviously, press conference notes from Sonny Dykes. And then, of course, feel free if, you know, as he mentioned, if you're ever interested in LSU, feel free uh, to check out Go247.com. He'll be on that site as well. Billy and Body is, again, like I said, one of the most hardworking folks on the network, does a fantastic job, uh, is always busy every time I try and get a hold of him. So I was grateful that he was able to go ahead and take time out of his busy day to be able to record here on the Fletcher and Fowler podcast. Again, if you were listening for the first time to the Fletcher and Fowler podcast, we do appreciate you hopping on and listening to our SMU USF preview. If you did like what you hear and you are interested in wondering how you can support, the best way to show your support is by considering giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or iHeartRadio or Google Podcasts. We're on all the major podcast distributors. And to subscribe to never miss another episode of the Fletcher and Fowler podcast, we would greatly appreciate your support as we continue to try and grow this within the USF space. We're still kind of getting our feet wet. Obviously, you know, I mentioned we would have some co-hosts and scheduling's been a little bit weird, but we should have a couple during the bye week as well as uh, obviously a post game from SMU. That's the hope. But yeah, make sure you're subscribed on all the major podcast platforms that you listen to podcasts on. USF and SMU set for a 4 p.m. Eastern time kickoff, 3 p.m. Central from Dallas, Texas at Ford Stadium over on the campus of SMU. TV will be on ESPNU. Mike Cousins, Dustin Fox have the call over there. And then, of course, you can always listen on 95.3 WDAE. Jim Lauk, Sam Barrington, and Joey Johnston have the call over there. And I believe their pregame show will start two hours prior to kick, so you get plenty of coverage pregame there. I will be in the house at Ford Stadium along with one of my site moderators and potential co-hosts, so you'll learn who that is later on. And we will be in the house for SMU and USF from Ford Stadium. Stay tuned to all of our content on Bulls247.com, as well as on Twitter at WTurner247 and at Bulls247 as we continue to get you ready for conference play. It's officially here as USF takes on the Mustangs in Dallas to avenge a 48-21 loss in Tampa back in two years ago. The Bulls will look to win their first road game since 2019 and overall snap a five-game losing streak on the road in conference games in Dallas on Saturday. We appreciate you listening to the Fletcher and Fowler podcast. We'll be back from SMU for sure this time with a post-game podcast after the Bulls and Mustangs take the field in Dallas. Appreciate everybody listening, and we'll be back soon in a few days 
And until then, have a great rest of your day and stay safe, everybody.